normally um, people say, I don't deserve that introduction, but I do appreciate it. I like the story of the guy who got up and said, I didn't appreciate that introduction, but I did deserve it. <laughs> so, uh, good morning. Good morning. The Bible says that Jesus came to give us... It's not a trick, it's not a trick. But Jesus came to give us... Life. Jesus came to give us... Life. One more time. He came to give us life. He came to give us life and life in abundance. The devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life. Life with a capital L. In fact, with a capital L and an I and an F and an E. John's amazed that I could spell such a big word. <laughs> Why don't you stand up for a second, turn around and say hello to somebody. Mick and Steph are here, they need to be said hello to. Ray, it's good to see you at the back there. Have you done it? I always think it's good to be able to turn around and to speak to somebody and see who was singing out of tune behind you. That's why I always sit on the front row, by the way. <laughs> I, I've actually got a, a blocked ear at the moment. I had to put some drops in. And, um, and at the moment, my voice is in my head. Do you know that experience? It's very strange. It's a, I'm a shouting. <laughs> it's, it's that odd thing that your voice, but then I've been hearing voices in my head for a long time. If you have a Bible with you, um, can you turn to Acts chapter 11, please? If you haven't got a Bible with you, why not? It used to be a, t a time when you never went to church without having your Bible with you. And when the guy at the front get up, he'd always be turning to the verses and making sure that what he was saying was right. And uh, I like it that people bring a Bible and make sure that what I'm saying is right. Because if I'm not right, please come and tell me. I know oftentimes there's a queue. <laughs> like you get at the deli counter in Tesco, a little ticket each, you know, 27, you can come now. <laughs> Acts chapter 11. Just to set the scene a little bit, uh, the church birthed at Pentecost, began to grow and expand rapidly. Uh, they set in some deacons into the church, or what we think probably were deacons, into the church. A number of people, one of them was a man called Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they were all full with the Holy Spirit. But this man, he went around and it tells us that he did amazing things, performing great miracles. Uh, and, and many people were listening to him. And, uh, and some of the Pharisees, they would argue against him, but he, he was able to confound all their arguments. And so eventually they, got, they thought, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they trumped up some charges against him, and he was arrested. And as you, as you know, he was martyred, the first Christian martyr. And the Bible says that at that time, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. 
and all the believers, all the believers were affected. And this great storm of persecution breaks out against the church and increases in its fury. Prime agent or one of the prime agents of this campaign of violence and persecution is a Pharisee by the name of Saul, who, as you know, later takes on the name of Paul. The Bible says in Acts 8.3, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. Somebody was just, uh, Harry was just talking about going from house to house. Well, Paul had a house to house visit ministry and his ministry was to go from house to house and drag off both men and women and put them in prison. Why? Because they were Christians. This was a vicious program of intimidation and violence against the church in Jerusalem. And so the people scattered, the Bible said. They, they had to leave, they had to get out of town, get out of the city. The apostles stayed, but the people, um, they had to escape for their lives. And so in Acts chapter 11, it's where we are now, I'm picking it up from verse 19. The Bible says these words. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was, was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Just as an aside, by the way, the reason all these people are scattered and got out of town fast was because of this guy called Saul. They get a church, start the church. Barnabas goes off. He says, I've got just the chap to help you. And comes back in holding the hand of Paul. I think, what do those people think when he turns up with Paul? I mean, this is the guy who'd thrown their friends and their relatives and, and, and persecuted people. And yet Barnabas, son of encouragement, his name was. Originally, his name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus, sometimes known as Cyprus Joe. But Cyprus Joe was renamed um, Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. I don't know how encouraged those people were by Barnabas when he pitches up, holding the hand of Paul and say, guess who I've got for you? Won't this be a blessing? But the Bible says that when Paul, uh, Barnabas first goes to the church at Antioch, he said he saw that the grace of God was there. 
There was a grace of God in those people to welcome, I think, Paul in their midst. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome and Alexander being bigger, but Antioch was a big city, probably a quarter of a million people or more in that city. Um, and was a major center, a major hub for the Roman Empire. And when the Bible here refers to the people there as Greeks, it doesn't mean to say that they were Greek like we go on a holiday to Greece, but it really means that they were Gentiles, they were non-Jews. It doesn't mean to say when it says they, they began to speak to the Greeks that they didn't speak to Jews, it appears that they spoke to anybody who would listen. Didn't matter who it was, they would talk to them. And they would also talk to the Gentiles. Our reading says here, they went to Antioch telling the people there, anybody who would listen. They went to tell anybody who would listen. The rich or the poor, the Jews or the Gentiles, no matter educated, uneducated, whoever it might have been, anybody who would listen, they would tell the story to. They told the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And it said a great number of people, doesn't say what a great number is, but a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. How did that happen? Two things were taking place. Firstly, the hand of the Lord was on them. That's what it says. The hand of God was with them. You know, the hand of God is with us. This is a tough audience this morning. Do you know the hand of God is with you? I mean, you've got to know it better than that. You go, yeah, I think so. You'll never do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, really nice, yeah. No, the hand of God is with you. The hand of God was, in, was, in, was with them in Jerusalem. And when Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, the hand of God was with them wherever they went. Wherever they went, God's hand was with them. That God's hand was with them in Jerusalem. God's hand is with them in Antioch. God's hand was with them in Tesco. God's hand was with them in Asda. God's hand was with them in Edge Hill College. God's hand was with them in your restaurant. God's hand was with them in your radio show. God is with us. And if we don't believe God is with us, we'll never do anything. Hello? If we don't believe that the hand of God is on our lives, we'll never try and do anything. We'll just hide away. The hand of God was with them, and they spoke about Jesus. Two things. God's hand is with you. You go speak about Jesus. And it was these two things working together which caused a great number a great number of people to turn to the Lord. Why? Because God's hand was with them and they opened their mouths and spoke. It is our partnership with God that always produces a harvest. It is us working with God, God working with us, that always produces a harvest. God can and does sometimes 
do it all itself. Kerry tells some amazing stories about finding people. And he says, how did you find Jesus? Because there was no Bible, no church in the country, the place where he went. And he said, oh, I was in my kitchen and a man appeared to me. We've heard those stories, haven't we? See, God can do it on his own. He doesn't need you. But God chose to work with you. That's a wonderful thing. I'm in partnership with God. I'm in partnership with God. I'm in partnership with God. It's a principle that, that, that we find in Scripture, that God restricts himself to work with people. Uh, it's a Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 4, uh, says these words. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. The harvest was not coming because God wasn't sending the rain because there was no man there to work the ground. It was this partnership between God and man that would produce the harvest. So often, so often, we are in meetings, we're in gatherings, we're in, in church on a Sunday morning, we're lifting our hands up saying, oh God, more, 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 more. And God says, why don't you start using what I've already given you? Why don't you take action now? Why don't you step out in faith now with what I've already given you? And if you use what he's already given you, he'll continue to flow through you. It's not that God's pouring something. God's already done that. His power, his life is in you now. Does anybody else believe that but me? See, we have to be out there planting seed for God to come and water. If we don't plant the seed, what's the point of God sending rain to water the earth? He waters the earth to bring fruit from the seed that we planted. If all that God does, if all that God does is send more, more, more rain, all he's going to produce is a swamp. And we don't want a swamp. We want to see fruit and harvest coming through. And so God says, go plant seed. He's talking to you. He's not talking to the enthusiastic few who sit near the front. He's talking to you, wherever you're from, front row, back row, every person in this room who says, I belong to Jesus, he's talking to you right now. Do you know the first word ever spoken after the ascension of Jesus? I love those kind of questions. I'll tell you what it was. It was the angels saying to the disciples, why do you stand there looking into heaven? And you find so many Christians spend their life waiting for God to do something, looking into heaven, as it were, where God's already given us all that we need to accomplish all that he wants to be accomplished. Hello. He's given it you. If God is in you now, if God is in you now, then you have what you need to get the job done in you now. And if you haven't, or you don't believe you have it in you now, here's the deal, we're gonna make an appeal for you to come and get saved, to give your life to Jesus. Anybody wanna come now? 
I assume that means everybody here is a Christian. And I mean, assume that means you believe you've got what it takes within you right now. 2 Peter 1.3. I love this verse. This is one of my favourite Bible verses. My favourite Bible verse is always the verse that I'm preaching on at that time, mind you. <laughs> but I love this verse. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That doesn't mean he's just given me enough so I don't sin. I don't chase other women. I don't go out getting drunk. All that kind of stuff. I don't do drugs. I don't swear. Keep my front garden tidy. Whatever it might be. He, he's given me everything I need to live a godly life. And a godly life is living a life like God intended me to live. Could one person encourage me by saying amen to that? That's what a godly life is, to live a life, to live a life like the life that God has called me to live. That's what a godly life looks like. Amen? At Bryn Jones years ago, I've stolen it, don't normally give him the credit for it, but he paraphrases that verse by saying, I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. Let's say it together. I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. Whatever you find yourself in, you can stand there and say, I've got what it takes to meet this situation in a godly way. Why? Because he has given me everything for life and godliness. Not he will, but he has. All I need to live the kind of life that Jesus died for me to live He's already within me now. He's given me everything. He's given me this, his son. He's given me his spirit. He's given me his life. He's given me his power. He's given me his presence. He's given me his word. He's given me everything I need. I lack nothing. And we should be the people out there bursting at the seams. God says we'll be bursting at the seams. That was a word about this church. We'll be bursting at the seams. Sometimes I think, I wonder if God was talking about individuals rather than about a building. Karen's suddenly pulling a waist instead of bursting at the seams. But we as a people, God's in us so much that we're bursting out and telling the good news about Jesus wherever we go. You see, we'll never find ourselves in a situation that God has, not as a, God has not equipped us to deal with. So here's two questions. Are you ready? Question number one, do you believe that the Bible is true? That's the first time you've all went yes together out loud. Yes. Do you believe the Bible is trustworthy and reliable? Do you believe the Bible is true about what it says about you? That came less enthusiastically. Can I just say that the volume went down then? You see, if, what the, if you don't believe what the Bible says about you is true, you don't believe the Bible. If you don't believe what the Bible says about you, do you really believe the Bible? 
This book is not true in part. This book is true. And I have to believe that what it says about me is true. Yeah? I have to believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have to believe that I'm, I'm an overcomer. I'm a child of God. I have to believe that the Holy Spirit lives within me. The same power that rose Christ from the dead dwelling in me. I have to believe that. And if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that, if I don't believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, if I live my life with a, a mindset that says, I can't do this, I can't do that, then you'll never do anything. You'll never do anything. You'll just go out of here and not believe anything. You'll just live your life with a bit of religion, come to church on Sunday, go home and live your life like all the people around you and you're not distinguishable from anybody else. Moses says to God, Lord, come with me. How else will people distinguish us from all the other people in the earth unless your presence is with me? And we can just fade into the wallpaper, as it were, of our environment. And nobody ever encounters God through us because we behave, behave like any, everybody else because we don't believe who God says we truly are. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That actually means I can do everything that God has called me to do. It doesn't mean today I can do all things, full stop. Just all things that God's called me to do. The likelihood is I will never play first team for Man City or Liverpool or Everton or whoever. Might get first team or Everton. <laughs> Sorry, Everton. <laughs> I repent. I'll probably never, I'll, I'll probably never be prima donna, uh, ballerina for the Bolshoi Ballet. I, I can't see that happening. There's, there's certain things I can't do. We have a habit these days, by the way, of saying to kids, oh, you can be anything you want you to be. Well, the reality is no. No, probably can't be everything you want to be. But you know, I can be all things that God has called me to be. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me and do all the things that he's called me to do. I can do those things. And if God has called you to be part of the greatest mission on this planet, you can be effective in that mission because he's called you into it. He's commissioned you, the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. This church in Antioch we're talking about began with just a few people escaping out of Jerusalem. These were just ordinary, everyday people, full of the Holy Spirit, power of God, received Christ, but they were just, they were not the apostles and the prophets. They were not the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. They were not the big yahoos of life. They were just the folk Ordinary people who loved Jesus. That's all these people were. Just ordinary people like you, like me. Simply sharing their faith. Telling their stories. Recounting their testimonies to God. Talking about his love and his forgiveness and his provision. Just living their everyday lives. 
and in everyday conversation, talking about Jesus. Uh, there's one paraphrase, I, I don't know which it is, I read it years ago, can't find it now, made it, might have made it up. <laughs> uh, but I don't think so. One paraphrase said that they gossiped the gospel. Anybody heard that phrase before? They gossiped, they just went out and gossiped the gospel. I love that, that's a great paraphrase of what they did. They weren't standing up on preach, street corners preaching, they were just talking about Jesus, chatting about Jesus to the people that they met, the neighbours, their friends, whatever it might be. They just gossiped the gospel. You know, people like a bit of gossip. Oh, don't look at me all holy. I know what you like. We like a bit of gossip. We like a bit of gossip. It's not good if it's bad gossip, but you can have good gossip. Yeah, you can have good gossip. You just tell stories about one another. It's great. I could tell you things about Gene Corbett. would make you fall over laughing. <laughs> we just gossip. People like a bit of gossip. And when you start just chatting and including in your everyday conversations things about Jesus, Carol Jones, Kerry's wife, Carol Jones has this thing where when she's talking to anybody, whoever she meets, she talks to them as if they were Christians. Just chats to them as if they were Christians. Talking to the gardener, they have a gardener. You've got a big gardener, there's a way like if they need one. And the gardener comes back, he says, Oh, yeah, you know, the Lord just loves this, doesn't he? And, 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 and oh, yeah, I feel for God's sake, I just need. And she just chats and includes Jesus in everyday conversations with people. I love that. It's just so natural for her. They gossiped the gospel. We just gossiped. Do you know what happened to us the other day? No, what? Well, we were in church. Church? Yeah, we were in the church. And, and, and what happened? Well, we were in the church, and, and our leader, a guy called Barnabas, he'd been away for a while, and he came back. Oh, yeah. And the guy who he brought back with him was the very guy we had to escape from in Jerusalem when we lived there. No. Yeah, honestly, it was weird. Because he walked in, we, were, we all went, ah! <laughs> He's here again. Really? Yeah? Well, why was he there? Well, do you know what? He was on the road to Damascus some years ago. And what happened to he did, They just gossiped the gospel. Gossip's great, isn't it? People like stories. Go out there and tell your story. You've got great stories to tell. You've got great stories to tell. You don't have to be huge stories. You know, sometimes the most little... Mary Jane got up last Sunday morning. Was that last Sunday morning? Mary Jane, her baby had been born three, four months ago. Poorly, she had to have operations. Mary Jane got up on the platform. Anybody remember that? And just said, do you know, God has been so good. Looked after this baby so good and you know I just want to say he's a great powerful God I think that's what she said basically and she went and said oh, that's fantastic on a Sunday morning that should have a cue we should have to give deli tickets out to get up there it should have a cue of people just saying it doesn't have to be a big testimony you know, it doesn't have to be huge. Just thank you, God, for your faithfulness this week because of. 
And that's what they did. They just went round and they gossiped gospel. Oh, gracious. And, and these few people in Antioch suddenly became a great number. A great number. You know why? Because they had a go and tell attitude. They had a, say it out with me, go and tell. Not a come and see. Come and hear, but a go and tell. I'm going to share the gospel out there. Do you know what happens when you share the gospel out there? Tell your stories out there. That very thing uh, sparks the interest. It raises the curiosity of people that you speak to. And, they, and they'll start asking you questions. They'll start asking you questions. And that's our mission. That's our calling. That's our purpose to spark the interest, to tell our stories, to recount what God has done, that people will come and discover, find Jesus. That's the purpose of our being born again. That's the purpose of our being born again. Why are you still here? If you gave your life to Jesus, why didn't he just take you right away? You remain because you're going to be part of his mission in partnership with him, reaching the world. That's why you're here. That's why you're still breathing God's good air. You know, if you're not involved, stop breathing. Or get on the, get on the mission. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is merely a doorway into the new life and the new mission that God has called us into. Being born again is that. It is, when I was born naturally, 50 odd years ago now, <laughs> when, I was, when I was born naturally, at Christiana Hartley Maternity Hospital, a process took place that took me out of my mother's womb into a new world. That's what took place. That birth was not an end in itself. It was a, it was a transitional thing to take me into a whole new world. Is that right? Same for you, isn't it? All of us, yeah? No matter how you came into the world, whether it was natural births through a caesarean or whatever means by which you got out, sunroof or, or the normal method, you, you were born again into a kingdom, into a mission. Not just, oh, I'm born again, like the born again was an end in itself. Born again is not an end in itself. Born again is the, the means by which you enter into this new kingdom. That's a tragedy of many gospel presentations. We think, oh, I've just got to give my life to Jesus. I've got my ticket to heaven now. No, you were born into a kingdom. You were born into a mission. We were all born into that mission. Not just the enthusiastic few. Every one of us who were born again were born into this mission. I'm going on holiday in two or three weeks on a cruise. Uh, the strange thing about cruises is you land or dock, don't land, dock. <laughs> um, you, you, you land 
and, and, and dock up and, or whatever it's called. And then there's all these coaches out there and, and you can go on excursions. Are they called excursions? You go on an excursion and, and you read where you're going to go on the excursion. Where can you go? The choice, you know. And, and what I find is you can go to this factory where they produce this particular kind of thing. Or you can go to this glass blowing place where you can see the workers producing these wonderful glass things. Or you can go to a vineyard and watch the peasants treading grapes. And, and you have all these people who get on coaches and they go to where the workers are working and watch them. The tourists, not workers. It's a bizarre kind of thing. Let's all go and watch some people working. That's my holiday. What did you do? I went and watched some people working. Did you work? No, I just watched them. Well, what did you do when you got tired? I went home then. What about the workers? No, they had to stay all day. They couldn't go home. They were workers. I was just a tourist. I couldn't come and watch. Sunday morning, 12, 10.30. Oh, I'm a tourist. I'm going to pop in, see the workers working, and then I'm going to leave and nothing. Hello? Is anybody with me here? right now. You're not a tourist if you're part of the kingdom of God. You've been birthed into being partnership with God to proclaim the good news wherever you go. <sighs> Tourists look for experiences. Workers are looking for a harvest. That's the difference, isn't it? Tourists want to go and observe. Workers are taking action. Tourists are consumers. Workers are producers. Tourists stay for an hour or two. Workers remain. I, I, it can go on. Anybody been on one of those strange tours? I bet Mick and Steph have. You must have been on one of them somewhere. Probably a vineyard going there. <laughs> vineyard or glass blowing vineyard. <laughs> I know you so well. <laughs> We're workers, folks. We're not tourists. Twice this week, Monday, Wednesday, when we're praying and fasting, met in the evening, hear from God, hear what God was saying. The same scripture came twice by two different people who did not know what the person who did it on the Wednesday was not here on the Monday, so I wouldn't have known. And the scripture that they brought, the scripture they read to us without out out of Isaiah chapter 6. Which says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe, that's his glory, filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah says, cries out, woe is me. I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, 
Behold, lo, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isaiah, in the presence of a holy God, became aware of his, of his own need, his own failures, his own inadequacy, his own shortcomings, his own weaknesses, and he cries out to God, woe is me. It's a sorrowful realization of his condition. I am a man, he said, of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He said, I'm, I'm like everybody else, I'm no different. We cannot come close to the God who is holy, 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 without becoming aware of our own spiritual condition. You might be able to do that if you're a tourist, but never as a worker, because a worker has seen the kingdom. If the man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. The tragedy is people can be born again and not still see kingdom. The demands that God makes upon us. God's response to the cry of this man's heart was to send fire from the altar of heaven and touch him at the point of his need. So he brings fire and he touched his mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips. This has touched your lips. God will always respond to the cry of the human heart by beating you at the point of your need. And we need, we need the fire of God to touch our lips that we may be effective in gossiping the gospel. We need an anointing to come from heaven upon our lips that we might be effective to give us boldness to go out and do what God's called us to do. That we might recount our testimonies of God's love and of his forgiveness and his provision and his, and, and his anointing. And those words being on our lips, that we are a go and tell kind of people, anointed to share our stories. As I shouts, woe is me. And God says, lo, this is touch your lips. Then God commissions him. God says, who will go for us? God phrases it as a question. <laughs> phrases a question. Uh, it really is more of an invitation and a commissioning. God isn't forcing Isaiah to say, yes, God. But it's God's invitation for you to partnership with him in the mission of going and telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. And he wants a willing response. He wants a willing response from me. And he wants a willing response from you that we would be a people who would go and tell. A people who, in their everyday, ordinary lives, go and tell. In our homes and in our colleges, in our workplaces, in the supermarket, 
telling our stories, recounting our testimonies, sharing the good news about Jesus. Whoa. A realization of my need. Lo, an anointing from heaven and a goal, a commissioning to be a worker and not merely to be a tourist. Well, we could stand together, please. Ali, can you come back? And Cole. Let's just stand together. Take a moment. Just stand, take a moment to express our need of him. To express our need of him. And to allow him just to bring fire from heaven, to touch our lips. And for us to say together, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Father, may it not just be words. You listen to every word that we say, every song that we sing, every prayer that we make. May it not just be words, Lord. May we see, Lord, a great number of people coming to know you. Yes, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a town, and all the residents of the town were ducks. And every Sunday, the ducks would come out of the house and put their best clothes on. And they would waddle down Main Street to the duck church and when they arrived at the duck church they would waddle down the aisle and find the duck seat that they sit in every week and the duck choir would come in and the duck musicians would strike up and begin to sing their ducky songs and after a while the duck preacher would come forward and he'd open his duck bible and he, would be, and he would begin to preach a ducky message, his ducky sermon. He was a wonderful ducky preacher. He said, ducks, do you not know that you have wings and you can fly? Ducks, do you not know that you can soar up into the sky? Ducks, do you not know that no walls can contain you and that nothing can, can, can hinder you? Ducks, do you not know you don't need to just scrabble around in the dirt of the earth, but you can soar. And all the ducks said, Amen. And the meeting closed. And all the ducks waddled back down Main Street to their ducky houses. And nothing changed. God, may that not be like that for us. Amen.